Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, O oh God. We give you all honor, we give you all glory, and we give you all praise. We thank you, Lord God, that you have brought us here this morning, O oh Father, so, Lord God, we can partake on your word. Father, we pray, O oh Lord God, that as you speak to us this morning, O oh Father, that, Lord, your word will touch our hearts and it will transform us, O oh Lord God. Father, we come before you and we humble ourselves before you, as your word says, Lord God, that it says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. So, Lord, we come before you with humble hearts, O oh Lord God. Father, as we go into your word, we ask, Lord God, that, O oh Father, you will show us, O oh Lord God, the way that you want us to go. You will explain it, O oh Father, in a way, Lord God, that you want us to understand it, O oh Father. Lord, we want to give you all honor. We want to give you all glory and all praise. We ask, Lord God, that as we come before you, O oh Father, that, Lord, we will focus on you, O oh Lord, and nothing else, O oh Father. Lord, as I pray this morning, I pray, O oh Father, for those that are suffering this morning, O oh Lord God, that have got a, a, a beckle in their minds, O oh Lord God, that they think you've forsaken them. But, Lord, you are saying you are right there with them, O oh Lord God. You have never, you have never left them, not even once. Lord, I just pray, O oh God, that you'll give them those words of encouragement, Lord God, that, Lord, you are taking them up, Lord God, so that the world may see that they serve a living God. Lord, I just want to thank you this morning. Lord, as I come, I ask you to use me, Lord God. Use me as a vessel for your glory, Lord God. It's not about me. It's not about how well I can speak, but it is about how well you can use me, Lord God, to make an impact on the earth. Lord, I come with a humble heart, and I ask you, Lord God, to use me. May your name be glorified. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. I am a teacher by profession. However, that doesn't mean that I will do a great deal of teaching this morning. Oh. We are reading from, from Esther. Esther 8. Good. At least someone was paying attention last week. Just bear in mind that I'm a teacher by, by trade. Okay, so it reads, as they approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethnach and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent out two disciples. He said to them, go ahead of you. Just as you enter into a village, you will find a donkey. A donkey's cold tied there. No one has ever ridden it. Untie it and bring it here. Someone may ask you, why are you doing this? If so, tell them the Lord needs it. Is that not Esther? <laughs> oh, I apologize. I just couldn't resist from the donkey. <laughs> it is Palm Sunday anyway, so it's in line. Okay. Okay. Um, I said we are on Esther chapter eight, and we pick up from uh, chapter seven, which Dave did a good job of, and I don't know how to follow on from that. So, just a, as a reminder, uh, I will ask someone to remind us what we've covered so far. 
so I can't help it, I am a teacher, so I need to find out that my students are paying attention. So what happened to Mordecai last week? He got hung. Well done, Lizzie. That, I think... I said, what happened to Mordecai and not Haman? He was indeed. And what happened to Haman? Haman got hanged. Okay. So, verse 1 reads, On that day, King Zexas gave Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther told him, how he was related to her. So the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed Mordecai over the house of Haman. So while Haman was hanging on the gallows that he, he had constructed for hanging Mordecai, uh, Mordecai was actually elevated. He was given power over his household. So in his mind, before he got hung, Haman had all things going well. And he was really doing well, except for this Jew that was really constantly pestering him. He wouldn't buy down to him for, for status, and he was somehow a threat to him. Even though he didn't say anything, he was a threat to, to, Mordecai, uh, to Haman. So he goes home, and the eunuchs come rushing for him. And the king says, he wants you now. And as we know the story, he gets hung. He had thought in his mind that uh, all was going well. His plan was on, on track. The Jews were going to be executed or exterminated in the next eight months. And he had been given the king's signet ring, which meant he was second in charge, or practically he was in charge because he was making all the laws and signing them on behalf of the king. He was literally telling the king what's happening in his kingdom. So in his mind, he had Haman hang, I mean, uh, Mordecai hanging on those gallows, but likely did he know that by creating those gallows, he was actually messing with God's people. He was messing with God's highly favored nation. Little did he know that he was going to perish on the same gallows that he had created. And what he also didn't know is what the Bible says in Proverbs 13, 22. It says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. And on that day, when he got hung, all his wealth was given to Queen Esther. So, which is a good example of how the wealth of the wicked is stored for the righteous. Mordecai, on the other hand, was trusting on, on the Lord. I forgot. I have some uh, visual aids up there to help you see where we're going.
So we see Haman hang there, and Esther given the house of Haman and the property. Mordecai is appointed over the house of uh, Haman. And as I mentioned, how the wealth of the wicked is stored for the righteous. We following so far? Okay, good. So Mordecai waited on God. He didn't just wait on God, but he knew and honored God. He did not bow down to Haman. By so doing, he put his trust on the Lord. As the Bible tells us, that those who, who put their trust in the Lord will not be shaken. They will be like a tree that's planted by the river and whose roots go down and in the time of trouble, they will not be worried about the drought or anything that's happening around them because they know where their source comes from. Their source comes from the Lord and the Lord is their savior. He provides for them. So I'm urging you this morning that in the midst of your trouble, don't look to the world. The world hasn't got any solutions. The world is confused, but your trust should be in the Lord. The Lord knows your struggles. The, no, the Lord knows you. He says, even before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. I created you for a purpose, for a time like this, so that you can stand and intercede for, the, for your nation. It is a time like this that we need to be digging deep into our Bibles, to go, be going down on our knees and standing for our nation. Because the Lord says, if my people that are called by my name shall humble themselves and repent and come and pray to me, we also need to repent our sins before the Lord. Sin is sin. Sin is not labeled as a mistake. Sin is sin. When we come to the Lord to confess, we confess our sin, we say the sin, and the Lord will forgive us. He says he is faithful and just to forgive our sins when we confess to him. So we need to come down before the Lord and humble ourselves and confess our sins. He will hear us from heaven and he will answer us. God is not a man that he should change his mind. So when he says he will do something, he will do it. And when he said to Mordecai that he will fight for him, he did indeed fight for Mordecai. When he put his trust in, on the Lord and when he honored God, God fought for Mordecai and he fought for all the Jews as well. And this wasn't the first time that God fought for the Jews. When we look back to when the children of Israel left Egypt and they came to the Red Sea, behind them was the Egyptians and in front of them was the Red Sea. And they thought, oh, that's the end of us. And they started mourning at Moses and said, did you bring us to die in this desert? Were there no graves in Egypt? They forgot who their Lord was. And Moses said, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation, the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. 
for the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight you and you shall hold your peace. So in the midst of your struggles, in the midst of your troubles, you need to remember that God is there. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. So we need to be still and trust in God. Whatever trouble, whatever struggle you might be going through this morning, you are not alone in that struggle. God is there with you. God knows that you are going through that. Thank you very much, Sharon, that you shared this morning. And uh, Paul, thank you as well for reading that. Uh, I was debating in my head whether I needed to speak to that. Uh, God spoke to me about this this morning uh, as I was getting ready. And he said there is somebody that is discouraged that they feel God has given up on them. Their dream is gone. But God says, you will rise up again. He says he's taking you down to the lowest of pits, not because he wants to crush you, not because he wants to see you suffer, but he's taking you down there so that you can see when he elevates you that it was God that elevated you. So that when he puts you up there, the world will know that God put you up there. You did not get there on your own power, but God took you up there. So if that's you, I want you to be encouraged this morning and know that you're being down, you're not down and out, but you are just being transformed so that when you get up there, you will be able testify about the goodness of God. So that gift that God has given you, that you thought, oh, I don't think that's me. God has called you to that and he will see you through it. Um, I finished my A-levels in 1993, I think it was. It shows you how young I am. And when I finished my A-levels, my parents urged me to go into a teacher training college. And I said, uh-uh, that's not for me. And I went my way, I did other things, and I did all sorts of things, and I thought, yeah, that's me, that's me going my way. Everything is okay. And Fast forward to 2015 or 16, I found myself in uni doing a PGCE. And I had a conversation with my parents and I needed to mention to them that I was in uni. And I, I was biting my fingers because I didn't know how to say it. Because I knew that the moment I mentioned that I'm doing a teacher training course, they will be saying to me, 
what did we say to you so many years ago? So what I'm trying to bring across is, if God has called you to something, no matter how far and no matter how much you try to hide, God will find you and God will send you on that track that he wants you to go on. So if that's you today thinking, that's not ever gonna happen. God will see you through. Amen? Amen. God will see you through. Okay. So we see in verse one that uh, Esther has been given Haman's household and his property, everything. But even though she's been given that, the decree, the decree still stands. Haman is dead, but that decree that he put on, on the Jews still stands. The Jews are still to be exterminated in eight months' time. Queen Esther is not content about the fact that she's been given all that wealth. It does not mean anything to her. What matters to her, what matters the most is the fact that the Jews, which are her people, still have a death sentence hanging over their heads. And Esther goes again before the queen, the, the king, sorry, and she's down on her knees, on, on her knees or on her face or whatever, but she was prostrate before the king. And there was a possibility that the king could not lift his uh, staff, and if he hadn't done that, that would mean Esther would be executed. But the king lifted his staff, and so Esther found favor in the king. So it might appear like just a normal thing that someone will do. There is a normality to it, but it's more than normal. What Esther is doing there is not just pleading for her people, but she's taking the role of an intercessor. She's standing there in the gap for the Jews. Even before she came to the king for the first time, she called on the nation to pray. And she also, she didn't say, okay, you go and pray. Uh, I'll be waiting for you to come back after you've prayed. She said, you go and pray, and me and my servants, we will also pray in the palace. She didn't care about what happened to her. She said, you pray, and I'll pray, and when we'll pray, I'll go to the king. And she did indeed go to the king. And do you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of the three Hebrew boys when a similar decree had been pronounced on, on them that whoever worshipped any other God except the living God will be put into the furnace of fire. And what happened? Listen to this. I've lost it. 
technology. And they were not willing to compromise. They just, they just simply said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we need not to answer to you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the fiery burning furnace. He will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. So they knew who they served, and they stood their ground. They said, no ways, I'm not doing that. You can fire me if you want to, but I'm not doing that. This is where we take our integrity and put it in place, where we are faced with situations in the world where we need to stand and say, no, we will not compromise our God because our God is the living God. If you have to fire me, then fire me. My God will provide something better. The same happened with Daniel when he was to be put in the lion's den. He said, I'm not bothered. You put me in there, but I know my God will protect me. So the same God that protected the Hebrew boys, the same, boy, the same God that protected Daniel will protect you. He cares so much about you. He is really concerned about you. You are the apple of his eye. The Bible tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. What that tells me is there is no flaw in you. God made you perfectly. And you might be looking at somebody else and say, oh, but I'm not as tall as Dave. No. God didn't make me to be tall as Dave. He made me to be this short because he had a purpose. So that if I need something up there, I'll ask Dave to reach it for me. <laughs> so we are all unique, and we are all a, a representation of the image of God. It shows how infinite our God is. If you look to the person that's next to you, they look nothing like you but we are all made in the image of God. So we don't need to be panicking about situations, about circumstances that are happening around us because God's got that. God did not only deliver the Hebrew boys, they came out not only scorched, not scorched, but they came out not smelling of the fire. That's my God. What can your God do? So, Esther knows that the decree still stands, but she trusts in her God. When you seek God, it will not only open doors for you, but it will draw you nearer to God. 
And that's what we need. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of heaven and everything else will be added. So our goal, our primary goal should be to seek the kingdom of heaven. It's to be seeking God so that he'll be the number one factor, number one thing in our life. And then everything else falls into place. The more you seek God, the closer you get to him. He says in James that we need to humble ourselves and he will lift us up. So it's not about how high I can get, but it's about how low can I get. The lower I get, the higher I'm elevated. So we need to be living that kind of life where we are continually seeking God, where we are continually praying. Not just praying for ourselves, but praying for our neighbor, praying for our communities. Because it is when we go down on our knees, when we go into that engine room, do things start happening. It is okay, yes, to give to good causes, but the, the best cause is to pray for people, is to pray for God to touch hearts. And it does not happen overnight. Uh, we had a really nice testimony last week from Dave, where he spoke to someone on the bus uh, many years ago, and he completely forgot about it. He did his, he did his part, he planted the seed, Somebody else watered, and God grew the seed. The people that he was talking about, he said they were Muslim. And God touched them, and they gave their hearts, and they became Christian. So it is what you do, not how you do it. Because you can try as much as you can to convert people. You're not going to succeed because it's not your job. Your job is to share the gospel and God will do the rest. Amen. Verse seven. King Zexas said to Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew, Indeed, I've given Esther the house of Haman, and they hanged him on the gallows because he tried to lay his hand on the Jews. You yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews, as you please, in the king's name, and seal it with the king's signet ring. For whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke. So, the Haman decree stood, there was nothing that the king could do about it in terms of uh, revoking that decree because the law of the Medes and the Persians said whatever law was written could not be revoked, not even by the king himself. But because of the grace of God, because of the mercy of God, the king has given them a second chance. He has given them the chance to draft 
the second decree. You see, when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit in the Garden of Eden, a death sentence was pronounced on mankind. And from that time, it has been a struggle to survive. Man has been trying to work out their own salvation, but that's not possible. No matter how much you try, you cannot work your own salvation. Romans 3, 23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So Haman's decree was to do with the death, but Mordecai and Esther were given the power to come up with a second amendment to the Haman decree. It says, for the wages of sin is death. So all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God always has a plan. Even from the onset, when men sinned in the Garden of Eden, God had a plan. He had a plan of redemption. He had a plan to save us. Verse 9. So the king's scribes were called at that time in the third month in which the which is the month of Sivan. And on the 23rd day, it was written according to all Mordecai commanded to the Jews, the satraps, the governors, and princes of all the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces in all, in, to every province in its own script, to every people in their own language, to the Jews in their own script and language. And he wrote in the name of the king and sealed it, with the, sealed it with the king's signet ring and sent the letters on couriers on horseback riding on royal roses bred for swift steeds. The message is not just sent out on ordinary horses. This message is sent out with agency because this needs to be revoked as soon as possible, or the amendment needs to be sent out as soon as possible. And how does that relate to me? What does this mean for me? It means I've got a mandate. It means I've got a responsibility, I've got a duty that I need to carry out. And what is that mandate? Matthew 8, 19 says, go, there, go therefore and make disciples 
of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe the things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of age. Amen. This is the mandate that we have to go out and preach the good news. And we have to take that mandate out with agency because as we can see around us, we can see all the signs that are written about in the Bible that the, the coming of Christ is at hand. And we need to be ready. We need, when that time comes, when we get there, for the Lord to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And for the Lord to say that, I have got to do my part. It's not for Keith to do my part for me, but I have got to do my part. So we all have got a mandate to go out and share the good news. Haman wrote the decree, the decree and he thought, oh yeah, I've got them. We also see in the New Testament in Matthew 27, Jesus is brought before Pilate and he finds him not guilty, but the people in one loud voice say, crucify him. And the enemy is rejoicing, yeah, I've got him. And he's taken onto the cross and he's hanged, stretched on that cross. And he thinks, oh, finally the battle has been won, I've won it. But little did he know that when he hung him on that cross, it was the second decree that was coming into effect. And alas, on the third day, there was great rejoicing because Christ rose again. He had the power, he had the power in his hands. He had won, he had gone down there and he had taken the keys over death and death no longer has a sting on us because Christ has risen and Christ is alive. Christ is our God. Christ stands there and he intercedes for us. That's who we need. The Christ that continually intercedes for us. God, our God, is a God of reversal. That decree that was, that was written in the Garden of Eden, he reversed it on that cross. It was through the mercy, the mercy of God that we got a second chance. It was through him that we got that second chance. And towards chapter 8, it tells us that the Jews rejoiced. There was great rejoicing because of the new decree. So there is also a great rejoicing for us. When we get to know Christ, there is a great rejoicing for us because that first decree has been overwritten by the second decree, which is the decree of mercy, which is the decree of grace. So I don't want any of you to miss out on this. We don't know what tomorrow holds in store. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know where we're going to wake up tomorrow. 
And if you were to die within the next 24 hours, do you know where you will be spending your eternity? You can surely miss heaven, but you'll definitely not miss hell if you've missed heaven. So I'm standing here this morning with a message from the king. He says, come, let us reason together. He says, even though your sins are as red as scarlet, I'll wash them as white as snow. Even they be like crimson, I'll wash them as white as wool. Can I ask the worship team to come up, please? So this is your chance to make sure that you set things right with the Lord. This is your chance to make sure that you fix your future. It is only you that can sort that out because without you making those amends, coming back to Christ, you definitely are lost. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 32, therefore, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father in heaven. So my brothers and sisters, I don't want this chance to pass you by. I want you to take this opportunity and set things right with your Lord. I want you to take, thing, take that chance to sort your future. It is your future. It is where you will be spending your eternity.